0: For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing in the marketplace, idle. And he said to them, you also go into the vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again about noon and about three o'clock. He did the same. And about five o'clock, he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, Why are you standing here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You also go into the vineyard. And when the evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, Call the laborers, give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now, when the first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner saying, these last worked only an hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burdens of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Hey, a warm welcome to those of you who are uh, worshiping online with us this morning. Uh, hopefully you got to see Past- Pastor Drew is up here singing. Did you see that? Isn't that wonderful that a church would have all of its pastors as excellent singers uh, like we do um, Yeah, although I've not been, have you been invited to do it? I haven't either, you want to, yeah, it's coming, yeah, maybe that'll come up in the sermon, the last will be first, no, anyway. Uh, This is, we're continuing a series on parables. This is not our favorite. Are you ready for the benediction? No. No. Uh, this is not our favorite. The lost sheep is our favorite, right? The, the shepherd goes out, he finds the one, he brings him back, puts it over his shoulders. We love that. We like the Good Samaritan parable. Uh, we, we like the parable of the prodigal son. I, I 've been asked to read at different occasions, memorial services, why not different passages of scripture. No one has ever asked me to read this one. let 's be honest, this one is confusing. Maybe even jarring to our modern understandings of how things work. But if we look close. We're going to need the Spirit's help with this. If we look close. We're going to find that this parable is wonderful. And such good news. Let us pray. Lord, we... Thank you that your word is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. Your word that's eternal, that does not change. We ask your spirit to teach us now. Amen. God's ways are not our ways. This is what Isaiah said. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher, uh, higher than the earth so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. We're going to need to keep these two verses in front of us, these control and guide our our text today. God's thoughts, God's ways are so much bigger and higher beyond our understanding. We're going to need to accept that. We have limited understanding. The heavens is higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, the Lord says. And if that's true, then the values in his kingdom... The values in Jesus' kingdom are going to clash with our values in our kingdoms, in our society, in our communities, in our families, maybe even in our churches. These values are going to clash at times, and this parable is going to teach us about kingdom values. And in so doing, it will remind us how we often embrace values that are not God's. The first thing we discover in this parable about a kingdom value is that it It's about grace and mercy. What is weighed heavy, what is honored, what is lifted up in Jesus' kingdom is grace and mercy. Now, what we value, what we tend to value in our world, above all else, is fairness. Fairness. We want everything to be fair. You know, last week I, I told you that I am the, reminded you that I'm the oldest of three children. And You know, being the oldest is not all as glamorous as it seems. I have to tell you this. You know, on the one hand, as the elder son, you get (laughs) a good bit of attention early on. Sometimes you get privileges uh, because you're the oldest. But on the other hand, you're also the guinea pig for your parents learning the ropes and how to parent. That means at some point you will watch your younger siblings get to do things you never would have been able to do at that age. Somehow they get to stay up later, go out later in the evening, watch more grown-up TV shows earlier, uh, generally be way less supervised. Um, And they never nearly get in as much trouble. Do You hear the anger coming out of me at this point. Do you hear this, right? Do you hear what I'm saying? You know, admittedly, as I observed my sisters growing up, multiple times I found myself exclaiming, that's not fair not fair, right? There is so much conversation about fairness in our world. It's amazing. It rolls off our lips. What's fair, we say. How is that fair? How is that fair? We say about this things like all the time. We value everyone getting what they deserve. Equal, equality, fairness, Everyone should get the same, we say, over and over and over again. Same pay, same rights, same opportunities. We don't like this parable very much because it seems to undercut, even negate a value that we hold so precious and so dear. And it starts at a very early age. Everything must be fair and the same. That's not fair. Jesus comes along and tells this parable about a, a farmer who had a, a harvest. Now, when you're a farmer, you don't know exactly what your harvest is going to be. Some years you have an abundant harvest, over the top, and you know you wait and wait and wait and wait. Then the harvest comes. Then you have a frantic activity of work. You've got to get that work done in a timely manner because the fruit could go bad if you wait too long. So he went, He goes out and he's pulling, He's have a big harvest this year, and he he finds some workers. And says, listen can you come first thing in the morning? Come to my field. I'll pay you $100. Okay, they come. And he realizes he's going to need more workers. So he goes out at, at, at 9 a.m., gathers some more. I'll pay you this. Then at noon, and then at three, and then at five o'clock. At the end of the day, he's going, man, we've got to get more workers. Dude, this is a big harvest. We've got to pull everyone in. And he tells them, this is what I will pay you the same amount end of the day the sun goes down and the workers line up and Jesus says this the manager of that farm starting with those who came at the end at five o'clock he gives them a hundred dollars and he goes to the people who came at three o'clock a hundred dollars you see the pay going out each one each one each one and here's the folks that came at 6 a.m watching this and they're thinking well it's got to be fair it has to be fair, right? Everything's got to be fair. So we're probably going to get a bigger pay. We have to. That's fair. What a surprise to discover they also got $100. And so they complained. We've been under the hot sun all day. How is this fair? How possibly could we be getting paid the same? It's not equitable. It's not equal. It's not right. It's not fair. But what if Jesus' kingdom had different values than we do? What if fairness was not one of the great values in Jesus' kingdom? What if it just wasn't there, this whole idea that we have? I mean, this is shocking to us, to our modern ears. We're not used to this. Surprising. But what's of a greater value, what's of the highest value in Jesus' kingdom is not fairness, but grace and mercy, grace and mercy. You know, in the Bible, the words mercy and grace are used a lot. In the classical theological definition, mercy is the notion that d- God doesn't give us what we deserve. Okay? Grace is the notion that God does give us what we don't deserve tracking with me this sounds like something the theologians spent years and years and years trying to conjure up right studying it but the bible seems to care less than theologians because it uses these words interchangeably all over the place they're basically the same thing basically grace and mercy are we we're given what we don't deserve not what, what we don't deserve what we i'm tripping myself up <laughs> you understand better than i do everyone gets what they deserve this is what we say. Everyone should get what they deserve, right? That's fair. But in Jesus' kingdom, no one gets what they deserve. Isn't that interesting? Nobody gets what they deserve in Jesus' kingdom. Well, how does that work? Well, the only way that works is if you and I have come to an understanding of what God has given to us. And that it's over-the-top wonderful and gracious and kind. It's abundant. And therefore, the only way forward in this life is gratitude for what we have been given. Not looking what other people have been given. Not looking to the left or the right saying, what did they get? Now, what did I get? The only way forward is to look up and say, oh my goodness, what I have been given is beyond anything I could ever imagine bigger, greater, grander. It's that good. You see, when grace is working in someone's life or grace is working in a family's life or when grace and mercy is working in a church's life, there's some things we should expect to see. Over time, if grace is at work, things begin to happen. For one thing, it, it changes us from being angry, entitled people to thankful, contented people. If, if you and I know that we are saved not by our efforts, not because I got there at 6 a.m. and worked harder than anyone else, if we know that it's, it's only by undeserved grace, we don't deserve anything, and yet we're given payment, we're given gifts, that everything we have, our genes, our gifts, our education, our money, our insight, our experience, every single thing is a gift, and that it's so much more than we deserve. We're given Jesus. We're given eternal love. We're given forgiveness of sins. If we understand that, gratitude will be our guide. If not, if we're still trying to earn our salvation, still trying to say, well, wait a minute, it's not fair. I've done more. then we're going to get mad at life. We're going to have a life of anger we're going to have a life where we're striving continually. We're going to get mad at God and we're going to get mad at the neighbor for what they have. But when we see it as all grace, the only response is to be thankful for what God's given me and not worry about anything else. Because it's so much more than what you deserved and what I deserved. It's big, it's grand, it's wonderful. That's why Paul could write when Paul the Apostle Paul wrote to the Colossians, he just gave them a two-word command. He just said, be thankful. Live that way. Live out of that. Every single day, wake up, decide and choose, be thankful. Later in Thessalonians, earlier in Thessalonians, he said, give thanks in all circumstances. Now, let's not make this verse silly. It's a way to make this verse very, very silly. There's a way to, you know, if I take a... Hammer and I hit my thumb and I'm screaming in pain. I shouldn't stop and go, Oh, thank you. That was wonderful. That was grand. I'm so glad for that. No, that's 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 silly. But what if you and I lived out of this sense that every day I have been given more and more and more. That's who I am, that's my identity. I am loved deeply. It'll change me. It'll change me. I will stop screaming about fairness. I will stop saying, what am I owed? And I'll start saying thank you over and over and over again. The psalmist says this, enter his gates with thanksgiving. Come into the church saying, thank you, God. Enter his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Our best language, our best speech, our mantra, our constant should be thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And by the way, that doesn't mean that hard things don't come into our life. And that doesn't mean that when they do, we shouldn't lament and pray. We should. It doesn't mean that all of life is easy. But it does mean living out of this reality that at the end of the day, what you and I have been given, what we are being given, and what we will be given is far more and better and greater than we deserve. And it's wonderful. The second kingdom value we discover in this parable is love. Now, in our society, what we really value, we value fairness, but we also value acquisition. We live in a consumer-oriented kingdom. And every time we turn on the TV or the Internet, we are bombarded with messages that say, you know, you've worked hard. You deserve this. Owe it to your, you owe it to yourself to have this. Are you still working with this machine? How could you possibly live with this? You need to upgrade to this to have fulfillment. We are bombarded. You've worked hard. You deserve it. You, uh, you owe it to yourself, we say. And we consume. We consume. And, w- and the mantra of our lives is, and I find I do this a lot, what's in it for me? What do I get out of this? How is this going to benefit me, You know, Paul, when he wrote his most famous chapter, perhaps, 1 Corinthians 13, he talked about love and he, he made this statement. He said, love cares for others more than for self. Now, that's Jesus's kingdom. Imagine being in a kingdom where I am more concerned about what's in it for you, what you're going to get out of this, than me, more concerned that you will benefit, that you will get, than me. You know, these workers, imagine, you know, these workers that came at 6 a.m. and they're getting their pay, and that pay is exactly $100, what the manager said. They're getting exactly what they agreed to. How is their attitude towards those who came at 5 o'clock? Is it loving? No. Think about it. They're looking at those guys going, you free guys, women, whoever, you freeloading. You're lazy. Yeah, we were working all day. What were you doing all the way all day, by the way? What were you doing? You just come loafing in here at the end and you get paid? Do you hear the attitude? That is not loving. See, as Jesus is telling this parable in his kingdom, you would hope and pray that what the early workers would say is, Isn't that wonderful? You know, he, I know his family. I know what they're going through. He needs that money. I'm so grateful that this landowner is generous. See, we're not wired this way. But what if we valued caring for others more than for self? Suddenly consumerism is tossed out. Suddenly it's about what do I have? What can I give away? How can I share what I have? How can I make it so that the neighbor benefits and is cherished? How do we respond? How do we respond when a a coworker gets a promotion? Envy, jealousy, disgust. These are not loving ways. Or do we say, I'm so happy for them. What a joy it is that they're going to have what's coming to them, what they're going to get. How do we respond when good fortune comes to a sibling? Mm, So happy for them. My sister, my brother. How do we respond when the neighbor seems to get all the breaks? Everything goes right for them. They don't have any problems. Doesn't it just seem like everything goes right for them? They don't have any problems, so how do we respond? Do we say, isn't that wonderful for them? I'm glad. That's how we love. You know, it's interesting. It might just be, these questions might just be a litmus test of how much Christ, of Christ's love we have received into our hearts. When someone else has good fortune come to them, If my heart is full of Christ's love, I'm going to celebrate. I'm going to cheer. I'm going to applaud. I'm going to say, well done. I'm going to say, Jesus, you've done it again. Look how lavish and wonderful you are. But my heart is empty. Envy. and Jealousy are right around the corner. You know, it's interesting in this passage, (coughs) the context is, Jesus tells us parable, and in Matthew's gospel, right after this parable, this is near the time he's going to enter into Jerusalem, right after he tells us per parable, there is this squabble among the disciples, James and John. They are uh, sneaking up to Jesus, the two of them, these mama's boys, the Zebedee bo- brothers, right? They come forward and they ask Jesus boldly up front, Jesus, will you grant us one thing? We want just one measly thing uh, that we ask. Do what we ask, they say. And Jesus, you know, wiser than any parent, um, he, when approached with a similar question, he gave a good answer. He says, I don't know. Tell me what you want first. I'm not going to agree to give you what you want until you tell me exactly what it is. And they shuffled their feet. They hemmed and hawed a bit. But eventually the James and John, the two disciples came out with it. We want cabinet positions in your coming administration. We want to sit at your left and your right hand and all your power and all your gro- glory. We want it all. We want it. But did you notice the other 10 disciples are angry and they're grumbling? They're mad at James and John. Why? Because they asked for places of honor? No. Probably because they wanted the exact same thing. They wanted to be sit at the right hand and the left. They wanted that. And they were mad that James and John beat them to the punch. And according to Jesus, they didn't know what they were asking for anyway. And if they really knew what they were asking, they probably would have asked for something else. And then Jesus says, listen, hey, if you guys want to be great in my kingdom, you're going to need to be at the bottom. The people at the bottom, the ones serving and washing feet, wanting the other to succeed, wanting the other to have good fortune. Those are the people in my kingdom that are great. Everything's been upended, Jesus says. This is a hard thing for us we think, well, wait a minute, don't I get what I deserve? i worked harder. James and John could have said, but we're closer to you. We've worked harder. We've done this, 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 this. We deserve it. We owe it. Jesus, my kingdom didn't work that way. The last will be first. They're missing this value of love of Jesus' kingdom. Love is climbing down the ladder. Love is giving up the seat of honor. Love is willing the other's happiness and success. And so we discover a a third kingdom value in this parable, that in Jesus' kingdom there is a new order. We've already mentioned it: the last will be first, and the first will be last—a whole new order. Last week I I shared with you. I, I took this in college this art appreciation class that I didn't think I would enjoy, but I ended up loving. And I learned about art and art history and how to appreciate good art, and I mentioned that Rembrandt was one of my favorites and another one of my favorites that I've learned to absolutely love is Vincent van Gogh. You know that he was born Vincent was born in a lineage of Dutch reformed pastors. Now, reformed is our tribe. This is presbyterianism. You understand this. So Vincent van Gogh his you know, they had pastors in his lineage and he himself desired to become a pastor. He thought this is what I'm going to do. But you know that the church rejected his his offer to become a pastor? They, they said no. They rejected him. And because of that rejection, he decided to go live among the poor, minors, very poor, very, very poor in that society. And he decided to live out of a kind of Franciscan devotion. He lived in squalid conditions. And to show support for this impoverished community, he gave up his comfortable lodging and he gave it to a homeless person. He moved into a small hut where he slept on straw and he had this just he took on the community life and you know he wore the clothes and he lived very very poorly he loved them he would he would sketch these miners and give them a picture he didn't even know he had a gift for painting but he did this he would sketch this a second time he went to the church to see if he could be ordained and they looked at him they looked at his clothes they looked at his how he's living and They said, oh, you're not fit to be a pastor. No way. He was rejected a second time. They said that he was unfit for the dignity of the priesthood. One of his most uh, famous paintings, and one of my favorites, is Van Gogh's painting, The Starry Night. Now, in the center of this painting, what dominates this painting, is a Dutch Reformed church. That's it right there. That's a good Presbyterian church right in the middle of this painting. Uh, And the whole painting falls apart visually, and there's no visual center without this church holding uh, intention between heaven and earth. But notice something interesting. The church is dark inside. There's no light inside of it. None. Vincent's message is the Spirit has left the church, at least the building, but it is alive in other places. If you look at some of the homes, the houses, there's a glow, there's a warmth. And what he's communicating is here is, in unexpected places, the mines, where poor people live, there's a warmth and a glow, and they understand that they're loved, and the Spirit is touching and working all of these places. And it makes sense. The church had rejected him. But what did he discover? The Spirit was working in all kinds of places. And if we follow the flow of the painting, your eye will circle upward, but still anchored by the church, and your gaze will end up on the right upper hand corner at the crescent moon. And notice that it's more than just a moon refracting a sun. He wanted to show that the Spirit of God transcends even nature herself, That in resurrection, in the new earth, and in the new heaven, a complete new order will shape things to come. What is that new order? The last will be first. The first will be last. And that goes against so much of what we have come to understand. It goes against the competitive, singular, consumeristic, fairness, Values that we tend to hold so dear. And Jesus has this shocking statement. The miners in the mines. The image bearers. The innocents. The lowly. Those who come down the ladder will be warmed. They'll be cherished. They'll be loved. This is the new order, Jesus said. Why is this parable so wonderful? This is what I said at the beginning. Why is it so wonderful? Because we learn that Jesus' kingdom is full of everything that you and I really, really need. And I don't know about you, I'm tired of fairness. I'm tired of consumerism, and I'm really tired of living in a world where we're constantly looking what other people have. It's making us cranky and angry and tired and bitter. It's making us live ungrateful lives, wondering and worrying about what we're going to get next and why we haven't gotten anything else. But what we really want, what we really need, is to be so filled with Jesus' love, and it's exactly what he offers. We need grace. We need love. We need a kingdom that has new values, new rules, because we're tired of this kingdom. And so our response today, collectively, Mountain View, today we say, Lord, thank you for what you've given us. Thank you for what you've given to us. It is big and grand and generous and wonderful. We don't care about the church down the street. We don't care about what's happening. For us, you have given. And you continue to give. And we thank you. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We don't need anything else. Let us pray. Father, what generous love is given to us in the form of your son. We confess that often we are ungrateful and we say, but yes, I need more. Yes, I need this or I have to have this. So help us to be humble, be repentant, and receive the love that you give to us and the grace and the mercy. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.